You can't just go in and raise rents for the quality of property that you have. That's not how this works. If you want to go in and raise rents, you have to enter a new market. You have to upgrade the units, slides them into another category where you could actually get higher rents. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips and Heather Marchant here. We're going to talk about fun stuff today. I really enjoy talking about deals and deal structure. It's one of the things that I kind of geek out on. I don't know about... Yeah, I think you do too, Heather. I do. Like, like, yeah, I think I, think I remember I Heather geeks out on this stuff too. It's, yeah, it's like in the evening, my husband will be working on his computer doing something and I will be working on vetting property or you know numbers. And I just think it's fun. It's interesting. It's challenging. And I love math. I always have loved math. Do you like math, Ron? You, to an extent... I mean, I think once we get into calculus, Ron's out. Yeah, me too. Actually, I yeah. hated calculus. Yeah, the dummy math. I'm really good at dummy math. You, yeah. you know, I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, you know, there's some things that you're gonna use, and you don't think you're gonna use them. Mm-hmm. And I tell them like, learn how to write. No one knows how to write anymore, mm-hmm. and because of that, you will be. I mean, finding someone who can actually articulate anything in written form is really hard these days. And so anyway, for all of you youth out there, if anybody's listening, that's a really marketable skill. Same thing with, you know, with math all the way up through algebra, because I, for a long time, I didn't realize that I was actually using algebra in evaluating some of these deals. Yeah. What I do, I'm solving for things all the time, trying to reverse engineer things. And yeah. really the way that you do that is, I hate to say it, it's algebra. Yeah, It's true. really simple algebra now. I mean, it's not like it's algebra one, probably like first quarter algebra one, but it still is, you know, where you're still solving for something unknown using other things that you do know. Word problems too, I guess, mm-hmm. for those of you out there who, you know. Yeah. I've been training new team members about some math in the pro forma and stuff. And giving them word problems <laughs> and saying, tell me what the cap rate is. Tell me what the ROI is on this property and just sharpening our skills, you know, as a team. And it's all the time, super good to be brushed up on those skills. And we encourage our clients to be brushed up on those skills, understand how to calculate return on equity, understand what cash on cash return is comprised of, like use those skills. So in vetting property, I mean, we're vetting probably on the daily. I'm looking at numbers and vetting property, but the commercial deals, not as much. I wish I was vetting those more on the daily, but you're probably doing that a little more than I am. I seem to do that a lot. And it's, you know, I have people who who send me deals all the time and they all sound good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, they literally all sound good, but there's so many things to look at that new people to the game they miss and they're really important. I don't, I mean, some of these things that I think we'll talk about today, Heather, like the type of financials that you're getting, they are so important. Yeah. So important. I've given um, examples on here about people sending things over that were just obviously wrong. I don't know how many weeks ago that was, Heather, but I mean, we did yeah, want to show on one that was that. 
And then I called him back and I said, Hey, this is wrong. I mean, it's, it's clearly wrong. And the broker was like, yeah, whatever. That's not really what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about some other things where when you originally look at the deal, it looks really good. And there's not some glaring in your face problem like I talked about before, where this thing actually looks like it might have some legs to the point where, I mean, on this particular deal, we're ready to fly out there and do due diligence. Okay. Now I understand, you know, people bring me deals, I'll vet them. And then I'm pretty quick to fly to the area. If, the, if it looks like a deal, I'll get on a plane and go there. <laughs> I think we did a show too one time, Heather. Didn't we do a show one time where I talked about the one I flew out there and I was like, the hell yes. is this? Yes. Places had three feet of water in the basement. I'm like, what is this exactly? I Why would you that. waste yeah. my time? Anyway, sometimes I'm a little too quick uh, to fly <laughs> places. But on this one, we actually didn't fly there. The deal looked pretty good. This deal already under contract. You guys had it under contract and they were, I think, two weeks from... No, they were about a week away from their money going hard. And they... No, 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 no. Their money was hard. They were about two weeks away from supposed to close. Wow. And the bank that had given them the financing at the last minute said, y'all need some balance sheet help. Hmm. For those of you who don't know, on commercial deals, you generally need... Well, A, you generally need some experience. Okay. B, you generally need at least as much net worth as what you're borrowing. And then you also need cash reserves in the amount of about one year's worth of your payments. If you're new to the game, that can be a tall order. Yeah. So this bank at the last minute says, Hey, look, you guys, uh, in order to get this done, you need some balance sheet help, which means y'all don't have enough net worth for the bank to be comfortable to give you this loan. So they start reaching out to people who could be balance sheet partners. And I originally looked at the deal and I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, if, if this all checks out, then this looks like a really, a pretty good deal. Happy to be a balance sheet partner on this with a couple of exceptions. The first one for me, and this is a personal Ron thing, I'm not doing personally guaranteed debt anymore moving forward. I've eliminated yeah, Talk about it. what that means. So there's what's called, and I didn't know this for a long time, other than for IRAs, I knew for IRAs, you could get non-recourse debt. And what non-recourse debt is, is that they're lending on the property only. They're not, not lending on your... There's no personal guarantee from Ron on the property. So if property so, fails, unless I committed fraud, they take the property and that's it. They can't come after my personal asset. So non-recourse debt, typically it's a little bit more expensive. They typically require a little bit more down and they do require you to be a little bit more financially healthy. But for me to join the deal, that was a requirement. He did not have that kind of debt from this particular bank that had kind of punked him at the end. So we went back to the seller, asked them for an extension, and I sent him over to my lender. Hmm. Now, I hadn't vetted the deal. You know, we had just started this, right? So I hadn't vetted the deal that much. And my lender starts firing over questions. And the questions that my lender is firing over, because there was a Google folder with, I mean, tons of documents in it, tons. I hadn't sorted through all that stuff because this was kind of a, hey, let's get into this and then I'll go do due diligence. I'll have my asset manager pour through it. We'll get on site. We'll go through the units, all this stuff. Now, supposedly these guys had already done 
the site work and everything like that. They had already a, a budget for you know capital expenditures and all this stuff. I mean, most of the stuff was done, or so I thought. Now, done, done, done. No dog or disrespect to these guys. They just didn't know a few different things, right? So, lender starts firing over questions and. <laughs> I start to see a pattern in the questions coming over. I'm like, oh, okay. We, so we got problems. So I called up the asset manager and I said, hey, look, we need to start digging through these financials like right now. Yeah, you know, because we're kind of under the gun. And these guys have got like $50,000 hard down on this wow. property now, right? So they back out, they lose 50 grand at this point. So I'm trying to help. So we're going through the financials. First thing we realize, after we start going through the financials and we start looking at rent comps and we start looking at the different things is that the rent comps aren't lining up exactly like they should. There's not really that much of a history of rubs. So we're trying to unwind that. At the same time, my asset manager calls me back and says, Hey, I've been working with these financials. Something wasn't lining up. So I looked and they're on accrual. Hmm. They're not cash. And I said, oh, okay, well, can we just email them and ask them for cash and see if there's a substantial difference? She's like, I can tell you right now, there's going to be a substantial difference because I guarantee you some of the money that they've booked in here for accrual never actually came in. Uh. So if you don't understand the difference between accrual and cash basis accounting, cash basis accounting is what most people know. It's the money came in this month. I'm booking it this month. The bills went out this month. I'm booking it this month. This is what I've got left over. This is what actually happened. Accrual accounting is where if it was supposed to happen this month, then I just enter it as if it happened this month. And when the money comes in, then I balance it out. That's a horrible description. But in this case, they would book money that was supposed to be, that was due, and then they would put it on the accounts receivable. And it's showing up as if they received the money. Oh, when wow. in reality, if you look at the rent roll, the rent roll shows how much money is sitting in accounts receivable, not collected. Hmm. So originally we went from a, I think that was a 97% occupied building, still is 97% occupied building, which works for you know a Freddie Mac loan. And that's what we were going for, right? Some kind of an agency debt. <laughs> but the economic occupancy of the property turned out to be something like 74% because they had massive amounts of accounts receivable that hadn't paid. And of course, if you look at the financials, only part of the financials, the, the profit and loss looks like everything is fantastic. But in reality, it's not fantastic. And a statement of cash flows would show you that where the cash, the cash that's coming in, the cash that's going out didn't match what the, the profit and loss was, was showing. And it was not a small difference. It was a pretty sizable difference. So the contract price all of a sudden doesn't work at all. We were, when I called these guys back and told them what we actually ended up having to do was get their login to their software and start to rebuild their financials because it was really sloppily done. It wasn't right. And I think that the owners actually didn't know, which is, which is scary. So if you're an yeah. owner, you need to know this stuff. Like when you look at your financials, you need to know what the heck you're looking at. So the difference ended up being like a $1.5 million 
in price where we needed to be. So I called off the site visit before we can try to figure out what exactly is happening and see if these guys even wanted to play ball. Yeah. We're still trying to figure out whether or not these guys want to play ball. Took us a couple of weeks to repair their financials and then present this to them and say, Hey, look, here's what you gave us, which is completely inaccurate. Here's what is accurate. Here's where we really are. And based on the cap rate that we offered, this is where the price needs to be. And that was one of the problems. Okay. So if you're ever looking at an offering memorandum and they've put the T12, which is the profit and loss for 12 months, the last 12 months, and it says accrual at the top, you need to ask some other questions. Interesting. Might be fine. Might be nothing yeah. wrong. Yeah. Might also be hiding a bunch of stuff because accrual can hide stuff and the accounting can be done right and it still hides stuff. In this case, it was done wrong and it was hiding stuff. So really not good. Yeah. That's really interesting because I think the cool stuff about that is finding those loopholes you can look for how you can, number one, like you said, get a better deal, right? <laughs> and it's affecting, giving you a lower purchase price potentially. And then making sure that you're, there's no surprises after closing. I mean, spending some extra time. You spend a lot of time in the books. So does your asset manager. So Yeah, she's amazing. So some of the other things were when we actually started to dig in, the research that was originally done on rents on rubs, which is it's a utility billing system, which allows you to charge back the tenants for utilities that are master paid, like water, sewer, things like that. Electrical, a lot of times is separately metered, but water is not. Water is coming in and everybody shares it. So the bill goes to the owner and you can bill back the residents. And that's one of the things that's being done um, quite a bit right now, because there's a lot of people who've had properties for a long time, just never done it. Yeah. And you know, they should be because it's a bill that the, the tenants are using. They should be paying their their water bill, their usage. We hadn't found very many people who are actually doing that in this area. But what we also found is that there's nothing that's going to be built, that there's a lot of demand for units, and that the rent comps weren't right, and there was a little bit more room for some income, which is good. Yeah. Right? The next thing, if they actually want to play ball, we're going to, have to do an on-site and rewalk the units because what we learned when we started to ask these guys for detailed capital expenditure and when we actually talked to the owners about what had been done for capital expenditures to upgrade the units, very few units had been upgraded, which means for us to get those higher rents that we were talking about, we also have to go in and do the updates to the units. So they had walked through a handful of units to get the flavor of the building, which is not due diligence, right? I mean, you got to go walk every unit because otherwise they're going to take you to the nicest units and show you the nicest units. You're going to think everything's swimming and you're going to get in there and all of these units are going to be completely jacked up. You're going to have to spend five to $10,000 a unit to fix them and bring them up, which... I don't think it's that bad at this place, but there's going to be capital expenditures that we're going to have to put in to increase these rents. You can't just... I've seen a ton of posts online about people just complaining that people are just going in and raising rents. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't just go in and raise rents. Nobody's going to pay you a rent above market for the quality of property that you have. That's not how this works. 
But if you want to go in and raise rents above what current market is, you have to get in, you have to enter a new market. In other words, you have to upgrade the units, slides them into another category where you could actually get higher rents. Yeah. Um, That's the cool part about looking at deals right now and pulling rent comps like we talked about last week, making sure you understand current market rents. Now, here's the other thing. We talked about this the other day, but one of the other things that was wrong with this, so if you're out there trying to find deals and bring them to folks like me, make sure when you do your numbers, you're figuring in that if you can't go straight into some kind of an SBL debt, and you have to get a bridge loan so that you can do all of this additional work. And it's going to take you six months to a year because it is guaranteed. You have to wait till people move out. You can't just kick people out, right? So you have to wait till people move out. Then you can upgrade the units. If you're doing all of that so that you can get into agency debt, you have to also understand that right now we're in an era of higher interest rates. So over the next year, 12 months, while you're doing all this work, you're chasing interest rates that are almost assuredly going to go up. Yep. So you can't figure your numbers at current interest rates if you're going in to do a value add on a bridge loan. And that's the other thing I told them. I'm like, look, here's the other thing. If the interest rates continue to climb this year, you can also bet cap rates are going to do the same thing eventually. So you can't have an exit cap rate. This is what we talked about the other day. You can't have an exit cap rate that's still at five and a half to six percent and you can't have your interest rates at 4.5% a year from now because they're not going to be at 4.5%. Yeah, exactly. So take all of these things, you combine all of these things, and we're not even done because we haven't walked the property, right? But you combine all of these things and you can start to understand why this deal is falling apart. Those are just a few of the things that you've got to look at on every one of these deals. And if you are out there bird dogging deals and bringing them to people, just do yourself a favor, do all of this homework first before you bring it to somebody, you know, and especially before you put it under contract and go hard on $50,000. Yeah. Right. right? I mean, all of this should have been done way, way before because then who has the leverage? Right now, we have no leverage. The only leverage we have is if those guys really, really want to sell. Otherwise, zero leverage. $50,000 is going to go bye-bye or they're going to buy a bad deal to save 50 grand. Yeah. And that you're discovering all this stuff, even when they were two weeks out from closing. Yes. But they're glad. So had the bank not come back and said, Hey, you need more balance sheet. They probably would have closed Mm -hmm. and it would have potentially would have sunk them. Yeah. Paying what they were going to pay at least, at least $1.5 million more than the property's worth. She's not chump change. So the takeaways I'm hearing are watch for accrual, get into the books, make sure you understand your market rents, make sure you're not projecting selling in a market that's as hot as it is right now. Yep. <laughs> and anything and else? walk um, every yeah. single unit. Yeah, it's a good idea. And maintenance closets. And you want to look at everything. And then the purpose of that is to kill the deal. Mm-hmm. You are literally trying to find all of the dogs that are hiding somewhere, right? You got to try to find all everything that's a smoking gun at, at one of those properties. And those are reasons why you can go back and retrade because it wasn't presented the proper way. 
And if you don't do those things up front and you don't dig through the financials, especially like, you know, we went when the first time we talked about this, Heather, I said, get the story up front, Mm -hmm. ask questions, dig in the story. And then when you get the financials match or they don't match the story. And when they don't match, you have to dig further and further and further. And it's just like when people apply to rent a property, a good property manager is going to ask them why they're moving, what their story is, talk to them about their family, talk to them about everything. And then when they pull their credit, (laughs) that credit report tells a story, Mm -hmm. tells a financial story. And if the financial story doesn't match up with the story they were talking about, then there's some other questions that need to be asked. And those questions lead to the truth. It also allows you to uncover BS because you can call people out on the fact that the story doesn't match, right? Yep. You said you upgraded the units and now I'm finding out that there's five units that have been upgraded and 80 units that haven't been upgraded. Help me understand how that means you upgraded the units. Were you going to give us a credit for the amount of money and that's how we were going to do the upgrades? Because I don't understand. Yeah, that's a good point. And then just shut up and let them talk. Because as they talk, if they're trying to screw you over, they're just going to lie more and they're going to get caught because those financials tell a story, mm-hmm. right? If they said they did all of this stuff, guess what? Either they've booked it into repairs and maintenance and repairs and maintenance is going to be a huge number, or it's going to be on the balance sheet, which most people don't even ask for. Yeah. On the balance sheet, you're going to find all that capital expenditure. It's going to be on there. And if there's not a big fat amount on the balance sheet or on the P&L, you got to wonder where the hell is it and how much money did they actually spend? And all this stuff you got to find out before you hit that drop dead date. Otherwise, you're not going to get your money back when you find it out because it doesn't really make any difference whether right now we found out they're lying because the money's hard. Yep. No contingency for me not doing due diligence, folks. So true. Hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully that's helpful. I guarantee you that there's a lot of you out there who never even thought about the whole accrual versus cash and could have made a massive mistake buying commercial properties if you didn't know that. Hopefully that was helpful. I think it was great because I'm the one that asked you for this episode, Ron, because I get a lot of questions on, yeah, so I've bought my first, second, eighth, ninth, tenth rental, and I'm really wanting to level up and how do I get there? And you need more education and more information in order to jump into that next ring, right? So, yeah, and I mean, this is why we do syndications, right? It's because people yeah. want to invest in commercial properties and they want to take part in some of the upside of commercial properties and forced appreciation. They don't understand all of this stuff. And, you know, if you don't have the time to be able to go put into things like this, then your best bet is actually to go and invest with other people. And it's the same thing with construction. I mean, I'm doing a deal with a couple of guys, a couple of builders. One's a really good friend of mine, done a ton of business, and we're going to build some houses. And I would never have done this on my own. Never. Because I'm not a builder, but I can partner with builders. And then you know, the cool thing is we can partner with a handful of people who want to experience building and experience the upside of building. I think this is one of those other things too, Heather, is that came about because of some things that we've heard from our clients. So when you guys are vocal and you tell us what you want, we're able to deliver that. And this is one of those things because Heather, we were talking about the syndications. Most of them don't allow for a 1031 exchange because they're investing in a partnership. They're not investing in real estate. Mm -hmm. And 
for those of you who have large 1031 exchanges right now, it's really hard to place money in a large 1031 exchange. Well, the new construction thing that we're doing is different than that. We're actually going to put some limited partners in and they're just going to be partners. We're not doing a syndication. It's just going to be a few people who want to do some 1031 money into actual real estate, into some construction deals where we're buying the land and building. And they'll just get part of the upside as partners. So completely different than what we've done in the past, but putting the right teams together and the people with the experience to be able to actually not make these mistakes I've been talking to you guys about. So really important that A, you guys are vocal about what you want so that we can bring it to you, but B, that you understand as you're looking at deals, not just from us, from other people, that you're aware of all of the things that can be missing out of these. Because these guys had a really solid OM offering memorandum and we wouldn't know any different, right? Yeah. So be careful out there, folks. That said, investing in real estate has been really, really good to me and a lot of other people that I know. If you do it right, I'm still convinced it's the best way to store wealth and build wealth um, with solid cash flow. So don't let me scare you today. Reach out. Yep. (laughs) I mean, scare you enough to actually look before you leave, (laughs) but not scare you to the point where you don't do anything because in spite of the market conditions, it's still a great real estate. It's always a good thing to invest in so long as you just use the fundamentals. I say that all the time, just use the fundamentals. Don't overlook things and you know get in a hurry, especially on big deals. So with that, Heather. It's great. Till next time, get out there and make something happen, folks. Thanks. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.